0: Hi, and welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast. I am your host, Mike Henley. Episode 25 Urban Sketching Using the Hand, Eye, and the Heart with artist and teacher Ian Fennelly. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Hope you've had a good uh, few weeks. I wanted to thank you for all the uh, great reviews and the comments I've been receiving. I really do appreciate that. And uh, I'm so glad that you're enjoying the show. Any uh, feedback you have, please let me know. I'm going to uh, continue doing this, and I really uh, appreciate all the kind words and the positive feedback and the constructive criticism. I really want to make this an important part of, uh, of your life and uh, something that you would want to listen to on a regular basis. So if I can make any changes, if everything's good as it is, then that's great. And uh, once again, thank you all. So I I just wanted to say first, I think, uh, I hope that you're taking care of yourself. I know that um, what's happening around the world has been stressful. I've mentioned this in the last couple of shows, and I, I can't ignore it because uh, I have many connections to it, and I'm hopeful that you're taking care of yourself first. Uh, you know, as any first aid training, that's the, uh, I think the big point that they always push, push forward is that uh, you can't really help those around you unless you're taking care of yourself. And I just want to make sure that you're doing that, whether it's physically or mentally. That you are trying to focus on that component, and that you are taking care of yourself and being kind to those around you, understanding that some are really burdened with a lot through this, and uh, I'm hopeful that creativity can help to uh, to pull some of us through this. So I wanted to highlight this just through uh, something that happened in our community. We have a Facebook group for our uh, neighborhood. There's probably about a hundred homes. We're in a kind of a rural area. So no sidewalks, we uh, you know fairly large lots and so we use the Facebook group to keep connected, and one of the users, Diane, on the group said that she had something for everybody, and she was going to drop it off. So uh, sure enough, the day came, and she—I um, could see them uh, driving in the neighborhood and hanging a, a little bag on our street signs, or on our number signs. And uh, I took a walk down and opened it up, and sure enough, there's this beautiful painting in there. And it ends up that she did a painting for all the neighbors. Um, which I was just so touched that someone would go through this uh, effort for all the neighbors some of which she's never many of which she's probably never met so I was uh, quite surprised she is known for as uh, paintings for parkinsons on instagram because she also has parkinsons disease and so she went through this effort uh, I touched base with her and you know she's doing this to kind of help deal with her stress through this uh, situation, but, uh, you know, she's giving back and doing this and she ended up doing 112 of these paintings, dropping one off for each of the neighbors. And I just thought that was just such a beautiful thing to, for people to do. And I just wanted to highlight this because I think there are, you know, impacts. There are things that we can do as creatives that have a real positive impact on others. And I think you just need to be mindful of that and take the opportunity to, to kind of share your creativity with others and uh, help them through this. And maybe the creativity is helping you through this. And so I, I just thought it was a beautiful thing. I'll provide a link to, uh, to Diane's page on Instagram and you can check out some of her paintings. I, uh, I think it was just lovely to do 112 of these. is is crazy <laughs> and uh, I just love it. So uh, thank you, Diane, for that. The other thing I wanted to highlight is the Museum of Modern Art is offering a number of courses. Uh, they're doing it through Coursera. They are starting uh, April 20th. If you're interested in any of these courses, they are free. So I thought that was kind of cool. So I will have a link in the show notes for you to check that out if you've got some extra time and you want to explore some of these uh, topics. They have things such as fashion as design, uh, modern art and ideas. They deal with photography as well. So if you're interested in any of these courses, please check them out. I'll have a link in in the show notes for you on that. I've done a few uh, more digital drawings, and so I'll provide links to those. I did a tiger, a blue heron, and a red panda. I did all these as a live draw, so they are about an hour. And it was a good experience. It was nice to be able to do these live draws. I've been doing them on Instagram. I think I'm going to do a few more on Facebook, but typically it's Instagram where I do these. So if you uh, if you follow me, you'll get a notification when I, when I plan to do another one. And I really enjoy it because it's a chance for me to draw and to chat with the uh, some of my followers, and so I'm going to keep doing that. I think it's a good way to interact with people. I haven't done a lot in the last few days. Uh, life has been very busy. I do plan to get back to it uh, heading into the, uh, the third week of April. So the other thing I did was I updated my portfolio. So if you go to MikeHenley.com and click on Portfolio, I've now updated it with all my graphite work as well as my digital work, some of my, uh, I guess, more prominent pieces and so if you want to check out some of the work I've been doing in the last year, year and a half, please check out that link. I'll put it in the show notes. And I'm quite happy to, uh, to have updated my portfolio. It was in dire need of attention and wasn't really reflecting what I was doing now. So I just thought it was time for an update. And so if you want to check that out, the link, once again, is in the show notes. Since the last show, I also was on another podcast, this time as guest rather than host. And so that is, uh, the podcast is called iPad Pros. I was on episode 77 with Tim, and we talked about kind of my backstory, the behind-the-curtain stuff of how I use my iPad Pro, how I work on the show itself, uh, the art, the writing I do, and so if you kind of want to get a behind-the-scenes look at, uh, at my use of the iPad Pro, and what I do during the day, and, and some of the, uh, the stuff I do with it, check out that link, I'll uh, provide it once again in the show notes. Tim does a really good job with that podcast and talking to other professionals about iPad Pros, the software, their uses. I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, Tim is uh, is a great guy, and we had a really fun conversation, and uh, so I'd recommend going back in the catalog and giving listen to some of the other episodes as well. He's really good at what he's doing and trying to focus in on uh, people leveraging this hardware and, and now this new software with the iPad Pro, so uh, check it out. So that's all for updates. Once again, thank you all. And uh, with that, let's head into the interview. As I started exploring urban sketching last year, a name, or more specifically, his art, kept popping up through various searches I was doing in places like Instagram and YouTube. His unique use of perspective, watercolor, and brush pens highlights the joy of urban sketching. He is both an artist and a teacher, and has inspired many with his unique style of urban sketching in addition to teaching others around the world how to look draw and paint to talk about his creative journey and his art i welcome to the drawing inspiration
1: podcast ian fennelly hi ian how are you i'm very good thanks mike i'm i'm great how are you
0: i'm uh, doing okay these are really strange times with the with the pandemic uh, it's they really are. changed they so many indeed. things right
1: yeah yeah the world's changed it's just kind of crept up on us and we've entered strange, strange territory now.
0: And in the UK, you're uh, on some degree of lockdown as well at this point.
1: Yeah, I think we're very similar to what you guys are across across the uh, Atlantic. We um we've we've had <clears throat> we've had social social distancing, social keeping away from each other for probably about three or four weeks now. Um, we're allowed out, but we're being told not to go too far from home and just go out for obviously emergency reasons, yeah, one form of exercise. And obviously the people that obviously do need to go to work can go to work but the rest of us are just staying inside and um and it's just it's it's worrying and it's frightening for a lot of a lot of people well i mean we're we're fortunate where we are you know we've got a a lot of space and we live quite close to the beach so we can get out and and, you know take the dog for a walk and then i can come back and i've got a a lovely studio where i can work but for a lot of other people they are just getting very worried and frightened because i think the problem is they can't see a light at the end of the tunnel you know they can't see an end game for it at the moment and that's that's a concern
0: yeah i think that that is the challenge with so many people is when does this end because there's so many you know some suggesting it's june others saying october and you know there's everybody has an impact on them i mean i think about the impacts to me but then you know my daughters my teenage daughters they have their impacts and their concerns which are quite valid and quite distressing, and uh, there's just nothing that could have prepared us for this, right?
1: No, and we're all in exactly the same situation, aren't we? You know, all of us, you know, our our whole kind of, all our plans, our our world has just been turned upside down. And, um, you know, if you think it's bad for yourself, there's always somebody else out there that's probably suffering an awful lot more. Exactly. Um, And the thing I've just focused on now is my own kind of creativity, because I'm not able to travel anymore. All my plans for traveling have, have had to stop. So I'm just kind of doing an awful lot of work from the studio, posting it on social media, and um, and creating lots of things for people to to share. in as well, so I think my way of of dealing with the situation is just to keep myself incredibly busy, which I'm able to do.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, we've really enjoyed that from yourself and so many other creatives that are making that effort. And oh, thank you. I think maybe what we'll do is we'll um, we'll start into kind of just understanding where you came from. And okay. Because I mean, you do such wonderful work, and uh-huh. I, I mean, if I see your piece without seeing your name, and I say this of so many artists, but it's true. Once you see someone's style, and it starts to envelop you, you you start to recognize it immediately. And I love seeing one of your posts pop up to the top of my Instagram feed uh, because I just I find. I, I I don't know. I'm kind of looking for secrets in it. I, I'm looking for direction. I'm looking for <laughs> that thing around the corner. And I just I, I think it's the the layout, the composition, and uh, obviously the, your use of watercolor, your your heavy use of blues to define shadows. Um, I just love it. So maybe if we can start from how you started as an artist okay. and how far back does this
1: go? Okay, okay. Well, I've I've always been an artist all my life, and I think I discovered that it was what I wanted to do probably when I was about. I would say about fifteen. I was that. I was that young. That's when I, and it was probably probably through through the fact that it was what I was good at doing, and I always got a lot of recognition for it from from school. Um, I could draw from a very early age, and and I, and I think when you're young, you know, you kind of crave that that recognition. You, you know, you you love the praise, and it kind of stimulates you to move forward. So from from a very early age, I I always wanted to make. I always wanted to make art. I mean, I didn't think I'd become an artist because you know you don't project that far forward in terms of a, a job or a career. But I knew it was the thing that kind of kept me going, and I had a real passion for, for just wanting to wanting to draw. and And I, and I think the other thing that, that was was really good from my perspective was that I found the subject very young as well. So when I was at, at school, when I was doing my A levels at school, mm-hmm. I I started doing a project on the local environment, which just happened to be just down the road from where I live now. And it was the old the old Docklands at Woodside Ferry, which is opposite Liverpool across the River Mersey. And we did a project on that. And I just was completely captivated by this whole thing. And that was when I was about 17. And I've been kind of drawing cityscapes and buildings and architecture and the space that people occupy ever since. So to find that at such a young age is is probably the luckiest thing that's ever happened to me.
0: And did you start, when you first started doing this in, in your mid to late teens, was it, um, did you use pencil and watercolor and oil? Or what were your mediums that kind of attracted you and allowed you to kind of start with this?
1: Yeah, it, it was all sorts really. Because because I was at school and then I did a foundation course after, after I finished school, we were kind of encouraged to really experiment. So I was using probably collage, I was using oil paints, I was using watercolor, gouache acrylic and um, charcoal, just about everything you could throw at it, really. I mean, I certainly wasn't using the the, 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 the tools that I use now. Um, but the, But the thing about it that's relevant, I think, is the vision' it's, it's what you see in front of you and how you want to respond to the space around you that that's That's the thing that stayed with me. So the, although the materials have changed, and I'd like to think the skill level has changed and, and the perception in terms of I see a lot more now. And what I did back then, and a lot of what I do is based on memory and experience, the The actual response, wanting to respond to the space around you and and being, you know, just fascinated by architecture and the layers of things that you see in front of you from brickwork and windows to cobbles and streets, you know, that, that, that hooked me in from a very early age. That's always been there.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's such an interesting point that you bring up because I think... As well, I'm not even going to say as an artist, as anybody who focuses on a specific area, if you if, let's say you are an architect, right? You will tend to look at, or let's say you're a civil engineer, you will look at bridges and you will see things you didn't see before, right? Because mm. you understand the structure and you're, you're interested in how they did certain things. And obviously, in, in art, if you're focusing on the architecture, then you're seeing items that you haven't seen before, right? Or the, the, that you haven't acknowledged before. Do you worry, and this is probably a question I should ask later on, but do you worry sometimes that you need to change your lens a bit? Because maybe, be, you know, for the fact that you didn't see this stuff before, maybe there's stuff that you're missing now um, that you should be seeing that you're not. Do you ever think about...
1: No, I think I think the way it works for me is, is, is when I'm confronted with a scene, I, I feel... As an artist, I'm in complete control of, of what goes in of the content that goes into the picture. So the 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 subject matter is is just the starting point and it's really what I do to it as an artist. So if I need to miss Windows out, I'll miss Windows out, because if they don't fit into my picture, they just they're not happening. And this right. is this is this is a real interesting relationship that I have with architects, because I get lots of architects that come on my workshops. And they're trying to break away from counting windows and getting everything in proportion and getting mm-hmm. the, the accurate perspective because they want to free themselves and perhaps express something a little bit more personal. But but because I've always been an artist all my life, I come at it from a completely different perspective. So I feel that I am in complete control of what goes on. So I'm not being dominated by the subject. The subject controls what I put down, maybe in the first couple of steps, but then after that it's about me telling the story that I want to tell. So I control what goes in. I control the colors. I control the shape. I control the space that happens in the picture.
0: And so after, you know, when you moved into your 20s, you know, you went to school, obviously, with uh, in getting a, a form of an art degree,
1: correct? Yes. So, so after okay. I left school, I, I did a foundation course, because in our country, you have to do a foundation course before you can okay. do an arts degree. And then I I went down to London, because I, I live just outside of Liverpool, which is kind of, north northwest of of london so i went down to 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 london did a fine arts degree in in london um and then i worked as an artist for a few years and then i decided i wanted to be a teacher so i did a postgraduate teaching course but i i didn't become an art teacher i became a primary school teacher which means i taught a class of small children and i did that full time for about 10 years Uh but while i was teaching, I was still painting and exhibiting, having exhibitions, having agents and stuff. And, you know, I was doing really well, but I was almost having these like two full-time jobs, which I found really difficult. So I decided to stop being a full-time teacher. And then I got a job working for the local education authority as what's called an advisory teacher. Um, And that means I, 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 or meant I went into primary schools and I trained teachers in creativity and arts. Um, and I still do that now. I've now become an art consultant across several education authorities. So my teaching job is teaching teachers, um, but my professional other job is, is making art and, and running workshops. So it's a kind of a perfect marriage for me of the two yeah. of being able to teach and obviously being able to make my own art. And then when I run a workshop, it kind of, everything kind of, kind of comes together, which is, which is great. <laughs> I'm really lucky.
0: <laughs> and I want to ask you about the teaching bit because I, you know, my, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you can be a student to a point in time, but you need to accelerate to that point of being teacher to make yourself a better individual, to make yourself a better artist in this case.
1: Yeah. I think, I think when, because I'm, because I'm breaking everything down all the time for, for students, you, what mm-hmm. you're doing is you're clarifying in your own mind exactly what you're about, you know, so it enables you to, because I run workshops all the time. I mean, I would say at the moment, nine times out of 10, when I'm doing a piece of art, I've got people watching me or filming me or or learning from me. So it really helps you to clarify what it is you're doing. And the process that I use when I do my urban sketching, you know, I kind of know every element of that now because I've had to break it down and explain it and demonstrate it on so many occasions. And sometimes, you know, in in really tricky, tricky situations, you know, we have rocked up on location and we've been conf- confronted by all sorts of issues, you know. And it could be something like a massive, big, huge juggernaut parked in front of the the facade that we want to draw, or it could be, you know, there's a thousand tourists taking photographs of us, um, or it could be, you know, ridiculously hot weather, or it's pouring down with rain. So there's always something. There's always an element there, like a third-party element that comes along to to disrupt you. So that really challenges you, you know, to think on your feet. And adapt the process according to the conditions, so yeah you you do you you're absolutely right to be a teacher helps you to really be clear in in what it is that you're you're doing yourself
0: and I have to admire for you know you you to be a teacher of young kids because i've I've gone into my daughter's school years ago to teach the kids how to draw a perspective and shadow and and value and all that kind of stuff, and this was you know I think they were probably uh uh nine eight or nine years old at the time
1: yeah it's the same age i used to teach yeah
0: and that's if you can do that there's a special (laughs) there's a special bit inside you because do
1: do you know can i just mention this because for me for my for my profession at the moment it's really important that i was a primary school teacher and not an art teacher because when i teach on workshops i don't do a big it's not about technique it's it's really about the process and that's very much comes from my my background in primary school teaching. So when I've I've got a group of students with me, I have to hit the ground running with them within seconds. I've got to get them to like me and to feel secure and to feel safe and to know that everything's going to be okay. Not in a patronizing way, but I just know they've invested an awful lot of time and effort and energy, you know, to come on this workshop. They might have, you know, flown halfway across the world to be there. So they're excited, but they're also quite apprehensive. And I need them to know that everything is gonna be fine. And that's one of the things that you have to learn when you teach them. you know, small children. You have to reassure them, take them off on a journey, break it down into steps, show them the big picture, say, look, this is what we're gonna do, and this is how we're gonna get there. And then when we've got there, we look back again, and we recap on all the things that we've learned. And that comes from, I think, my primary background. Um, and it's really, that's a really significant thing for me that I kind of use a similar methodology or a similar model to how I, I teach, whether it's small small people or or big people. Obviously, the, the, the skill level and the expectations <laughs> are slightly different.
0: <laughs> Do you think that it's challenging with adults in that they come in maybe with an expectation that I'm going to leave with Ian's style versus yeah, I'm going to leave with Ian's skills?
1: Yeah. yeah, that's a really, really good point. I think with with children, they're just happy to learn the skills and they have no Expectations—they have—they have no preconceived ideas. They're just living for the moment. But I think with, with adults, because they have so much more awareness of, of what I do and and my style and you know all that kind of stuff, that, that, that sometimes they can put themselves under—not very often—but some can put them under, themselves under a lot of pressure and think that you know they really need to get there. And you, you say, well, no, it's it's a, it's a journey. It's a lot. You know, we're all in in this for the long the long haul and you know you come on a workshop with me and i'll give you as much help as i can and you'll learn loads but then you need to go away and kind of work it through for yourself you need to try these things out without me being there because i i find that when people come on a workshop they can produce the most fabulous work when they're with me because i'm micromanaging it and i really do micromanage it in lots and lots and lots and lots of steps and i explain everything to the nth degree but then when they've left the workshop and they go home to you know wherever it might be alabama or liverpool and they're left to their own devices that's when i often find out from them they get in touch with me and they say we kind of wish you were back with us again because we we got that bit wrong or we couldn't remember how to do this particular part but that's something for them to take away and you know to really develop by themselves Hmm.
0: yeah it's um I just, I, I can see, I can envision what the challenges. I mean, kids are great. I mean, once you get the hook, they are fantastic. And, you know, some of them will just, they'll they'll take their own journey and uh, you can let them go. And others uh, need that validation regularly. Um, it's, uh, that would be challenging with, uh, and, and how big are your workshops? Like how many people are you dealing with?
1: Well, what we tend to do, Mike, is we have a maximum number of fifteen, um, okay. and you, you, you tend to not really go beyond that, and, and very rarely they're less than fifteen. Um, so, fifteen are a good, a good amount. Um, so, when I'm teaching at the symposium, we have like an international symposium every year. Of course, it's not happening this year, but mm-hmm. um, last year it was it was in Amsterdam, and the year before it was in Porto. I've been one of the instructors there for the last couple of years, and there's always fifteen people on the workshops when we do a demonstration if it's just a demonstration you can probably tweak the numbers up to about 20 or 25 but I I was in there, uh, I'll just tell you a little story I was in um, Slovenia um, which is in kind of Eastern Europe just east of, of Italy and I was in the capital Ljubljana which is such a great name Ljubljana <laughs> and I was doing um, a series of workshops and before the workshop started I I said to the the lady that was organizing it, I'll I'll do do a demonstration. And it it was just a free demonstration. And there must have been about 40 people there. Now, trying to get 40 people round is is quite a challenge in itself. You know, some were were sitting on on the floor, some were sitting on top of bins, a couple were hanging out the windows, one was on a balcony. Um, And it was was quite tricky getting so many people round because you want everybody to see what you're doing. You know, you don't want them to be just looking at the back of somebody's head. So sometimes it can be a bit tricky, yeah. Yeah, and you're but sitting no, probably in a little collapsible chair with your pad, right? And people yeah, to look no, no, you yeah. are, you are. You just on one of these little kind of collapsible camping chairs as well. But um, yeah, so that that was that was quite tricky. Yeah, but no, go back to what you said then. Fifteen yeah. is 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 a good a good amount. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so I think you said it already, but you know the, the focus obviously is, is on watercolor. Was this? Um, did you did you come to watercolor first? Or did you come to urban sketching? Because okay, you, you did so, oil in the
1: past, right? Yeah, I did. I did. So go back to what I said before about um, when I left college. I I worked as an artist and then became a teacher. So in all that teaching career, all the time I was teaching, whether I was working for the authority as a consultant or working in the classroom, I was always painting. And I, I you know, I I, ha- I have done very well out of my career. I have a lot have lots of galleries and agents and publishers and that kind of stuff. And I've always I've always painted but for a long long time all i did was watercolor painting so for about i don't know 15 years almost everything i did was, was was watercolor um and then when i got involved in urban sketching which was about five years ago my love of drawing which was kind of running parallel with the, the, the painting um i just kind of fused the two together because when i went outside and worked on location i didn't want to be like a, a plain air painter and just do watercolors. I wanted to draw because I've, I've always loved drawing. So I started sketching and then I started introducing painting. And then because I've always painted all my life, I found it quite easy. And then it's just developed from there, really. Um, and obviously the more I've kind of got into this, this process of urban sketching, the more I suppose my, my way of working has, has become more, more apparent and more unique and. And more I think the colors have got a lot brighter over, over the years as well when I look back at some of the work I did maybe four or five years ago I was using a lot more monochrome a lot more tone work but now the colors are being lifted a lot more which which probably makes them look a bit more like the watercolors I was doing say 10-15 years ago so I've kind of gone full circle I think my watercolors <laughs> kind of look a bit how they looked years ago but there's a lot more detail in now because I'm using you know all the pen work or the line work all the layering, all the textures, all the referencing, the, the detail. So it's it's interesting how you kind of go around in circles as an artist. So I, I think maybe we should
0: explain what urban sketching is at this point and understand when that transition happens. So maybe, yeah, can you explain maybe from your perspective, what is it that you do? How would you describe the... Uh the type of art that you do at this point in time?
1: Okay, so, so what I do now is, is all out, outside. It, it, well, it, it was outside up until about four <laughs> weeks ago. Um, but everything I, I do, all the art I make now is, is done outside. And most of the time I'm doing it, I'm teaching, I'm running workshops as well. But in a kind of like ideal scenario, I would go out by myself to a city um, or a town or somewhere and, and I, would, I would draw and paint what's in front of me. But before I do that, you spend a lot of time choosing the location. The location has to you know, fit in with, with certain conditions, like it's got to be somewhere where you're not standing right in the middle of a really busy high street and you're going to get, you know, 100 people coming past you with bags of shopping and trolleys and all sorts. So you've got to go. You've got to be somewhere where you're, you're quite secure and safe and, and private. And then also the angle that's in front of you has got to be visually really interesting. You know, something that's quite stimulating and then what I do as an urban sketcher is I draw and paint what's in, in front of me but what I'm I'm doing is I'm, I'm kind of producing a record of what I see over, over a period of time and it's it's quite a, a personal journey and I think it's for everybody because we all have our own you know preferred mediums that we use and we all have our own preferred colours and techniques and stuff like that so we're not taking photographs we're actually recording what we see over, over a period of time. And what I find fascinating is in that time things change, you know, the colours, the light changes, you change, your confident levels drop or they they, they, they go up. Um, you know, your knowledge of the place, which I think you touched upon before, your knowledge of the place increases because when you look at a scene, and it could be quite a complex scene, you know, made up of lots of buildings and street signs and furniture, junk street furniture, you know, your knowledge of that place, builds up over over the time of that that you're looking at it. So you start noticing things and you notice the fabric of the place and how it's all made up. And to be able to record that in a personal way, I just think is the best thing you can do. It's just amazing. Because you're learning about the place. You're learning about the history, the fabric of it, the character of it, the smell, the sensation, the noise, the energy. You're learning about the people that live there as well. Even though you're not putting them in your picture. You know, you can see all the references to people and it could be the washing they hang on the line or it could be the graffiti they've written on the side of the wall or it could be even, you know, the dog mess on the floor because they walk their dogs and they allowed their dog to do something by the grid. <laughs> yes. So you just you just learn, you just learn so much and it's so good for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's what's inspired me to do more is the urban sketching movement. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel like do you think this has helped to validate quite a few artists or, or to have artists feel validated in what they're doing, having this urban sketching movement be such the power that it is now? yeah
1: do, do you know what what I, what I found and I, I think this, this this is this is really cool is that for years and years when I was working as an artist the only the only dialogue I really had was with gallery owners and agents, and all they really talk about is money or um customers and and you know when customers come round, you don't really talk about the art because they you know they they, they want to buy it, they love it, they, they're happy to to walk away. But now because we have this urban sketching movement, which is so visible on Instagram and Facebook, you know most of the conversations now I have are to do with the the, the kind of the art side, you know the, the deeper side, the personal side, the the real life experience side, as well as all the you know materials and tools and techniques. But more to do with the actual experience of being out there, you know, the mindfulness and the well-being, it's a much healthier uh, conversation that we're all having now, because we're not, we're not just talking about the sales and, and, and the gallery, galleries and the exhibitions. We're actually talking about what we do and more importantly, why we do it and, and the benefits that, that we get from that.
0: And I think what's really captivating, and this goes back to your teaching again, is that your canvas is not simply the pad in front of you. Now, the canvas is the minds of those people that you teach, right? So, yeah. your reach is much, much broader than it's ever been, right?
1: And yeah, it's you're yeah.
0: much more accessible this way too.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I think I think that's 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 a great that's a great point that as well. I mean, for years, I think a lot of artists, you know, worked in isolation. I mean, I I've, I'm sitting in my studio at the moment, and I've I've done thousands of pictures in the studio, Um, but you you don't remember them. You don't really remember them. You remember maybe what they look like if you've got a photograph, but you don't remember doing them because you're kind of working from an iPad or a photograph. But I remember, if I look at any of my urban sketches, I can remember exactly what happened while I was doing it. I can remember how I felt. I can remember the weather. I can remember the stories where people come up and they start talking to you. And I can remember all the people that I was, I was teaching as well and the conversations that we had. So it's a much more memorable experience now because you're outside in your studio is, is, is the world. Um, and that's, that's great. That's so good, you know, to, to be in that situation where you can, you can travel and you can have all of these memorable experiences and, and everyone's doing it. Everybody's who's out there. They're all creating these fantastic memories for them, for themselves. It's not just about making the art. It's about the people that you meet and the connections that, that you make. And so sometimes it might just be the glass of wine that you go off and you have afterwards and the, the jokes that you tell, uh, which is which is just brilliant.
0: Yeah, I think um, my previous guest talked about the album of life. And I think there's nothing that uh, kind of outlines that better than, than urban sketching. Because it really, I would agree, I've only done a few. But when I look at them now, and I don't know, like you talked about people in the conversations. When you look at yours, and I'm looking at your Instagram feed right now, do you also get the smells? Do you, you do. you look at one and feel, oh, I remember that versus another one? Yeah,
1: you do. You, you remember. I mean, you remember everything. I mean, I've got loads of really funny stories that I could, I could share about things that happened to me when I, was, when I was on location. And I think everyone's probably got really funny stories. I mean, there was one in Porto where I was at the symposium a few years ago, and I was drawing outside this apartment block at the cathedral, which was opposite me. And after about half an hour, all this bread started landing on the page. I thought, oh, there's a big pigeon up there who's just, you know, dropped his food. And I looked up and there was an elderly Portuguese lady. And when I say elderly, she must have been about 95. And she was really tiny. And she was screaming at me in Portuguese, chucking bread that was landing on the page. Now, I don't speak Portuguese. I mean, I struggle speaking English sometimes. So I didn't have a clue what she was saying. And anyway, there was a Portuguese taxi driver opposite me laughing his head off. And he says, he says, she's fed up with artists drawing outside her apartment. Because obviously Porto was full of artists because it was a symposium. And, she, and he says, he wants you to go away. Now, now I'm six foot three and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm quite a fit guy. She was about, you know, four foot two. And I thought I could probably take her, <laughs> but that's not the point. I'm a guest in her country. So I packed up and I just, I walked off and went and got bite to eat. And as I'm walking away, she's still screaming at me. Anyway, the interesting thing is about an hour later, I really wanted to finish the drawing because it was only half finished and it was annoying me. I thought I'll go back to her apartment because by then it was about eight o'clock in the evening and I'm thinking she's probably gone to sleep. So I went back to the apartment and I looked up and thankfully the light was off. So I sat down as quiet as a mouse and I carried on the drawing. But the interesting thing was, as I was drawing, I was actually still quite frightened, thinking she was going to come out and shout at me. I felt like I was really naughty. <laughs> and whenever I see that picture, that's the story I remember. I remember the bread and the old lady, and I remember finishing it off feeling quite frightened. This lady's going to come out and scream at me again, or worse still, throw something else, probably throw a can of beans at me.
0: <laughs> Upper game, right? Rather Upper just game, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's funny. When you when you're in these countries and in these areas, and you look at starting a piece, uh, maybe yeah. we can talk about your process. About yeah, yeah, you know, because I I live in you know Canada's capital, and I've walked around, and now I'm looking at it in a way that once again my lens is changing. Right, it's, yeah. it's enhancing to the point that I'm looking at it thinking that would be a really good scene for an urban sketch. When, from your perspective, what do you start looking for? Okay. that makes you feel compelled well, to sit down and draw?
1: Okay, well, the, the, that's, that's a really good question because there's a difference between the subject I would choose if I was teaching and the subject I would choose if I was doing my own thing. Okay, So if, if I was doing my own thing, I'd look for something where I can tell lots of stories, stories about, about the place, but also stories about what I'm discovering, what I'm finding out. But if it's a, a workshop location, for for students for me to teach, it probably has to have something a little bit different. It has to have a very strong compositional structure, which I can then teach as a hook into the into the into the scene. And it might need a, a specific colour or something which I can again can teach. Um, and it might need certain visual elements which I know I can teach. So you you're kind of you're looking for different things really. But if we if we take The teaching one so if it was a location and they wouldn't be massively different it's just the the one i would choose myself would probably be maybe a little bit more off the beaten track because also you've got to be mindful that if it's it's a workshop you've got to sit 15 people down comfortably and they're not going to be in anybody's way whereas if i'm working by myself i can probably push myself a little bit more to be in a maybe slightly more kind of you know difficult situation you know i can i can can potentially be on a really busy street. And because it's me by myself, it wouldn't matter. But obviously me and another 15 people, it would. Mm-hmm. So but once I've found the subject, and, and the subject has to be quite visually rich, so there's got to be a lot of content in there. And if I was to go, say, for example, my, my, my latest, the last trip I went on was to New Orleans. I, I did a, one, one particular workshop. Um, well, well, actually, it was a warm-up sketch first down in the Garden District. And I was looking for those those kind of like, those those typical, the typical architecture that you would see in, in New Orleans, which you wouldn't see in our country. Um, so those kind of like blockboard houses with all the panelling and then the verandas. And then they have these amazing pylons that, that stick out at an angle and all the wires. And then you have these fire hydrants and these big thick pavements. So I kind of look for things that are, are typical of, of that place. And also, the, 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 um, I, I really love the street signage as well, where it says one way, because we don't have that in England. And I also love when, when you have the pedestrian light, instead of it being red, it has a hand. And the hand is fascinating. And I, I, love, I love drawing all those things and putting all, all those things in, because they're telling stories. And they're, they're not just telling a story objectively, they're, they're telling a subjective story, because they're telling the story of what you notice, what you discover. Because things like the fire hydrants, that might not actually be in my line of vision. It might be 10 yards over to the left. So what I do is I stick it in the picture. I actually physically move it, and the sign might be the wrong way around. It might be facing the opposite way, but I turn it around and make it face the right way. Not the right way for the traffic, because obviously the traffic would crash, but the right way for my picture, it's what my picture needs. So I'm constantly tweaking things, so the subject matter is just the starting point. It's the excuse, the me to tell the story that I want to tell. Yeah, I'm
0: looking at, I think, probably when you did in uh, in New Orleans where the, the hydropole looks like it's uh, supporting part of the balcony. And yeah. you've got the one-way sign and the stop sign. And it's just a wonderful piece because you look at it and it's like, oh my, it is? It's just, um, and once again, it's your use of blue. Like you do use uh, blue in such an interesting way through most of your work. And I, I just, I love that bit.
1: Oh, um, thank you. Where
0: it's it's not, you know, I think the thing with, and I do it often, is that blue is in the sky, right? Yeah. Blue blue is, is not necessarily a, a real color. Like, for example, birds don't have blue feathers. It's the way that light is manipulated. But we tend to think blue is the sky. And when I look at your work, I just think your use of blue is not for the sky. It's for shadows. It's for highlights because you rarely put in the
1: sky. No, I, I leave. I tend to leave the sky white as, mm-hmm. as blank. And the reason I do that, and and I, I this is one of the things I I teach on on location, is that um, it's kind of hard to explain this um, without being there. But if you can imagine that you're looking at the scene in front of you, and it's a three dimension three dimensional space. Forget forget about working from photographs, but you're actually there on location and you've got a three-dimensional space in front of you and you're trying to get that three-dimensional space onto a two-dimensional piece of paper okay the sky is the space you're existing so the sky is the white of paper and then everything that you look at is the form then that is what you draw onto the white piece of paper so the sky is what's behind it's that negative negative space and everything sits on top of that. And that's how I kind of explain it, which is why I don't paint the sky. Sometimes I'll paint a little bit of a hint of it at the bottom, maybe just tweaking out from behind a building. Um, but again, that, that's more for kind of artistic reason. But no, the, the sky is always that white negative space behind. And then the thing that you draw goes onto the space of the paper.
0: And, and I want to talk a little bit maybe about that, about, you know, this uh, drawing from reference and drawing from. From real life but maybe i'll just ask this one question now and then we'll get back into it but if i were to give you a photo of a location and then i asked you to sit in that location and once again you agree that this is a good place to draw or to paint yeah yeah would your palette be different drawing from reference and drawing uh, in real life
1: um the, well the short answer is i, d- I don't know okay it, it, pro- it probably would but i i don't know but but the, the difference the real difference between working from a photo and working from, from life is that with a photograph, time stands still. So every part of that photograph that you're looking at is screaming at you with the same kind of level of detail and intensity. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a photograph can, can actually be quite intimidating be, because it's almost like I think a lot of people feel they've got to copy that photograph. You know, they can't really select. They can't use their imagination as much because the photograph is a very dominant Physical thing. But if you're on location and you're occupying the same three dimensional space as what you're recording, you know, you can be much more selective and you can walk into the scene and you can touch things, you can smell things, you can meet people, you can walk back to where your your stool is and you can start drawing, I think, with a lot more freedom and a lot more expression because you are controlling that scene so much more from a human personal perspective. But the photograph, you can't because it's almost like another piece of art that's coming at you saying, draw me, draw me, look at me, look at me, look, don't don't miss this bit out. You've got to draw everything. You know, we're on location. It's not like that. You know, on location, for example, you can be drawing the facade and a massive big lorry comes and parks itself in front. Are you not going to draw the lorry? You're going to wait five minutes for them to unload what they're unloading and then they're going to drive off again. I mean, I was doing a workshop, in, again, it was in Porto a couple of years ago, and this guy came along and parked his motorbike right in front of us, and he kind of did it on purpose. And I just said to everybody, all the students, don't draw the motorbike. But if somebody suddenly took a photograph of that, you'd have the, you'd have the motorbike, and then you'd have all the buildings behind. You'd go away, you'd forget about the experience of it, and you'd look at the photograph a couple of weeks later, and you'd think, oh, I really probably should put that, fo- that motorbike in because that was part of the scene, wasn't it? That's why I, I snapped. Right. Do you see the difference? Yeah, you're, you're but if much you're more actually, strict. Yeah. If you're actually there, you see the motorbike and you think, well, mm. oh, that motorbike's not going in. I'm not gonna draw that. And you stand up or you, you shift yourself, you know, two meters over to the left or the right. or you just, Or what I'm really good at doing is looking through things. I can look through something and imagine what is on the other side. And you can't do that in a photograph because you haven't got enough information. You know, you can't change your viewpoint or your perspective. So going back to the, the question about colours, I, I mean, I probably would change the colours, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite good at working from photographs and pretending to myself that I'm actually there. So I can work from a photograph and it, it kind of almost looks like I might have done it outside. And I can work outside and it kind of almost looks like it's from a photograph. So if you went through my Instagram feed, you probably wouldn't be able to tell what's done from a photo or what's done from life because they don't look any different. There's no difference between them.
0: And I think that's the challenge I would have. Like I do a lot of uh, realism with graphite and you know, that's what I enjoy doing. I do it on the iPad as well. Uh, but I think, and that's why I was asking about the palette is I think, and I've done some urban sketching out in the environment and I find that doing it outside And we'll, we'll talk about how to do this all with COVID-19 later on, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I think doing it outside and and the reason I was asking about the palette is because I find if I have a photo, I'm building the palette based on what I see versus when you're outside, your focus is the environment. Your focus isn't the blue sky, the green tree, that birch over in the corner, the sign, your focus is that living kind of experience in front of you when you're looking at a photo. And I did this in one of my urban sketches. I, there was a beautiful tree and there was a sign in front of it. So I had to draw the sign. And, I'm, and, and I look back on it and I think that was, the, that was really not very smart. I should have just not drawn the sign because it took away from the beauty of the tree. Yeah. And uh, I was too strict in what was there versus being more expressive about the experience and how I perceived it at the time and, and what story it was trying to tell me. And I, yeah. I, that's a real challenge, I think. And a lot of people will be faced with that. And the fact that you're saying you don't have to be strict around that, I think is going to bring pause to a lot of the listeners to understand that it's okay, Right. It's your perception of what's happening.
1: I do. You know, I agree with what you've just said. But I think also that those those, the the difference between the experience and the difference between photograph and and how you might potentially be a lot more confident in your your colouring when you're outside, um, as opposed to a photograph, which is going to be a lot stricter, a lot more dominant. A lot more specific i think i think that's really just the starting point because what i do with my work and this is probably because i'm more of an artist than an urban sketcher is once the initial colors go on it kind of the the other colors then have a life of their own so it then becomes about balancing and about composition and and you mentioned the blues before often those blues go in not because i can see the blue and not because i feel the blue but because the blue is going to enhance what's already been put down so it kind of becomes more like a a, of an app more more of a kind of abstract exercise in balancing out the picture and making the picture work rather than anything to do with direct observation because it goes back to what i said before my urban sketching the, the the work i do on location it's just really a starting point for me to make art on location you know i want to make the pictures that I want to make, I want to be in control of the scene and I want to be in control of the colors. So the blues go on, the grays go on, the greens go on because it's what the picture needs. And I'll do that whether I'm working from a photo or whether I'm working from direct observation because I'm constantly looking at what's not just the scene, but I'm looking at what's on the paper and I'm balancing things and tweaking things. And this is what I'm teaching the students as well. You know, the, when you start doing watercolour, it takes off, it's, it, it's got its own agenda and you just have to kind of chivvy it along and tweak it along, really. You know, you can't, what I don't want to do is, is keep analysing what's in front of me all the time because life's too short for that and it's so boring. You know, you want to have fun, you want to play, you want the, the water and the colours and the splashes all to have a kind of life of their own, really. And I can I can do that whether I'm working for a photo or working from a from real life, I'd rather be outside working from real life, obviously. And probably, if I'm to be fair, probably most of my best work has been done outside on location. But I'm quite good at kind of simulating and pretending that I've been outside when I've actually worked from a photo, which is quite handy at the moment, isn't it? Because I've got no I've got no choice.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. You've been training this for, for this for years, right? So yeah. So can I ask when you start a piece, then you, you know you find that location. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you go from like? Do you sketch it in graphite? And no, then... I never.
1: I don't, I don't. use any pencil. No, oh, you don't use, use any pencil. pencil.
0: Okay. No pencil. So directly no. to pen or brush pen, or how
1: does that? Yeah. So, so okay. my the work I teach not not always what I do by myself. If I'm by myself, I don't always follow this this pattern, this method. But the, the method I teach, which I've been teaching for quite a long time now, and there's there's all sorts of YouTube clips out there, and I've I've made lots of films as well where you can see this is it's broken down into, I was gonna say five steps, but if you think there's five steps, but there's a kind of pre-step. So the pre-step before we begin is just to really look at what's in front of you and try and visualize how you get the the big shapes onto the piece of paper. And I'll often get the students to to place pens, maybe four or five pens on the piece of paper. And one of the pens would represent a line and that line could be the edge of a, a building. And another line could be a lamppost and another line could be you know the the edge of the pavement so we just break it all up and it just helps you to visualize the scale of everything in relation to the outside edge of the page so that's a kind of pre-step and that takes a bit of time and we we, you know we talk about that a lot and then we use the brush pens but the fine liner part of the brush pens to sketch out the big shapes that's just sketching out the outline and we'll use like a a mid-gray, a mid-grey for that. And then the next step is we we go into those big shapes with kind of medium sized shapes. And for that we'll use the fine liners. But it's still very loose. It's still just marking out kind of medium sized shapes. And they might be things like the outline of a window or a chimney or the outline of a a tree or you know the arch of a bridge or, or a lamppost or something like that. Um And then those, once we've got those two steps in place, that has given us all the information that we need for the painting side. And then with the painting, what I'll teach with the painting is I'll start off with a local colour. By local colour, we mean an an observable colour. And it could be the facade of a a building or it could be the arch of a bridge or something. So it might be a brown, it might be a blue, it might be a yellow, it could be anything. And we'll start referencing that colour. But once that goes on, We'll then start adding other colours as well to complement it in terms of what the picture needs. Um, and we'll just kind of work our way around that. And then when that dries, we then use the brush pens again. But this time we use the brushy part of the brush pen. And that is to develop things like tone, and realism and depth. And it also calms down the colours. So the brush pens will be used on top of the paint, but okay. also on top of some of the, the white areas of paper. That haven't been touched and that makes it all a lot more kind of realistic and it just it just kind of chills it all down a little bit which is which is good but those four steps only represents about an hour of the workshop so it takes about an hour to do those four steps and then the next two hours are the final step which is the detail so the detail really it take, takes up two thirds of the workshop it takes up two hours of the three hour workshop and then the detail is broken down again into lots of different steps. But it's only really step five. And the detail is all about going deeper and deeper and deeper into the observation and telling stories and putting things in like the fire hydrant, like the poles, like the, the, um, the washing on the line. But you see, when you do the detail, you should know exactly where it goes because steps one, two, three, and four have enabled you to break up the space, develop the tone, develop the color, and all you're then doing is you're drawing on top or you're drawing inside those shapes or above those shapes or to the side. So it's like picking something. So I'll say, look, look at that window, look at the crack, look at the crack in that window. Look at the, um, the, the curtains on the, on the right. And everybody will know exactly where to put it in their picture. Or I'll say, look at the grid down there at the bottom. Um, and look at, look at the tune gum on the floor. So I'll, I'll, I'll get people to notice things. And once they've noticed it, they know exactly where it needs to go because they've created all that kind of background framework through steps one, two, three, and four. And that is basically my workshop in a nutshell, but it takes it takes a lot longer than that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think if you ever make it uh, to Canada in the future, I'm going to have to uh, attend one because uh, it sounds just enlightening. And I, I think the other thing I want to ask you, but too, about your work is the perspective or the... I'm going to say the perspective. It's almost like a, a fisheye or a wide angle. yeah. And I, I yeah. find that so compelling because it feels in some ways much more real yeah. than a photograph. And maybe you can talk to that because I think that's something distinctive in your style too. And maybe you can talk to that and okay. why you do that.
1: Okay. Well, I, <clears throat> I don't find perspective particularly interesting because I'm not, I'm not a technical drawer and I haven't got a kind of technical background. Mm-hmm. So, but because I've been drawing all my life, you know, seriously, since I was 15, but, you know, many, many years before that. And because I've always drawn and I've spent years and years and years drawing buildings, I, I kind of I get perspective. I, I understand perspective. I know all the, the rules, but I never talk about them because I find it boring. But I kind of visualize, I suppose I visualize perspective so I, I, I understand it and I can I can get it. So it's it's a big part of my drawing without me making reference to it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um so because i get it i i i I feel i can change it i can change it to the way in which i want so i i will bend things and tweak things to add things like charm to add character but also most importantly to determine what people look at so if i bend a pole i bend it in a certain way for a certain reason and, and to a certain angle because i want it to maybe Push your eye into another part of the picture, and in the other part of the picture is all the interesting stuff. Mm. So sometimes perspective will act as like a bit of a frame, and it'll will, it'll will control how people how people see things. And if you look at the drawings and the sketches, and you'll see how things just sometimes get tweaked a little bit um, to control how people's eyes can flow around the picture. And another reason why I do it as well is it, it kind of adds energy and dynamism, and because my painting. The painting side is so energized and dynamic and splashy, and the colors are quite vibrant. And I do wet on wet, and they we all kind of splodging together. The line work has to be compatible. The two have to go hand in hand, really. So if I had a very kind of static, stable line work, and then these kind of colors thrown all over the place, they just wouldn't sit comfortably together. So it has to be compatible, really, with the, the paintings.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know it's funny because you're talking about this, and I'm looking at your Instagram feed at the same time. <laughs> 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 and I would encourage other people to do the same. I'm going to embed some of these Instagram images into the uh, the show notes as as hidden chapters here, so people can get a sense. But I am looking. I think it's probably some piece you did in Instagram, or sorry, yeah. in uh, Amsterdam, and. When you talk about bending the pole, there's one that you have where there's a, uh, a light standard on the left and a tree on the right, and they angle away from each other. And it's, I think it's so interesting because they're angled in a way that they're pointing, almost directing your eye to the black part under the bridge. Okay. Um, and I look at that, and I'm thinking, you know, all I can think about is that there's a boat that's going to come out from there soon, right? And yeah. it's, it's, that just, it's such an interesting use of, of perspective of bending light and bending shape to tell a, a really interesting story that I just, I love and I want to explore for my own kind of urban sketching as well.
1: Um, but you're, you're right there, what you said before, Mike, a lot of, a lot of artists, especially people starting out, they, they do struggle with, with perspective. And, and, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you get it wrong, it will look wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I, I get that. And, and when I'm teaching on location and, and people want support, they want help. They don't want help with the painting. They want help with the drawing. And what they want specifically is the help with the perspective. That's what people need the the support with. And that's the thing that people really struggle with. So I would always recommend if people struggle on perspective, go on YouTube. You know, there's loads of YouTube clips. There's loads of technical exercises. And you just need to do exercises over and over again. I mean, if you come on one of my workshops, I will teach you loads and loads of things. But I won't really specifically address perspective because it's it's not my it's just not the thing that I do. You right. know, I'm not, I'm not that type of of artist, and I'm certainly not that type of teacher. I mean, I can I can intervene in your drawing and I can explain where the vanishing point goes and how the lines all converge on the vanishing point and how you can exaggerate it and and all of that. But I think people would need to if they if they feel they're struggling, I would recommend YouTube because there's some great things on YouTube. So I also find as well that some people genuinely don't see it. They, and they can't see why it's wrong as well. They, they, they just, they just don't, don't, can't visualize it. And I think that's, that's a practice thing. That's something where, I mean, one of the things that I, I, I am able to do is, is, is visualize things. So I can, I can look at something and I can visualize exactly how it's gonna go on the page before I've started. And I, and I can do it really quickly. And I can work out the perspective in my mind without thinking it's perspective. But some people, perhaps if they're just starting out, they haven't got that visual practice. They haven't got the, the ability to do it because they need to spend longer looking, and, but also thinking. And it's all about thinking. That's the key to all of this. It's, it's thinking about it. It's looking at the lines and thinking, why did they go off in that direction? Why does that one go over there? And, and just almost like thinking about the visualization of it all, Um, and that that just takes that takes a long a long time you know i mean there's there's things i can do now with perspective that i couldn't do five years ago there's things i can do now with paint that i couldn't do two years ago you know so i'm always moving forward and i'm I'm always learning and i'm always trying to you know push myself and challenge myself and that's i think that's how you get how you get better isn't it yeah that's that's how you how you improve
0: yeah i think that's the real challenge with especially drawing is that you've got to have that balance between the you know kind of the 6, six foot perspective elevation and the 30,000 foot. You've got to constantly pull yourself in and out of that. Yeah. Cuz people will focus on one small element and it'll be the most beautiful looking eye or bicycle, but relative to the rest of the scene it doesn't make sense anymore cuz it's mm. it's it's not pointed the right way or it's it's the perspective isn't consistent with the vanishing point you've established by putting a post over here. And I think that's the real challenge when people look at drawing, is when you're putting together a scene, that you've always got to be in and out of that scene um, to making to make sure that it all works together, as opposed to yeah. just focusing on this. And it's the it's same, same with people doing still life. I see it all the time where images look flat, mm. because they're living on one element of the image, rather than in and out all the time, considering yeah. the perspective of everything else.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I, I wanted to ask you, because... I've done, I haven't done a lot of urban sketching, but I just wanted to talk about kind of the interaction with people. Okay. And just maybe some of your experiences beyond the woman who wanted you to go away (laughs) Um, (laughs) is, you know, the the thing that people find it so interesting, right? They walk up on you, they look over your shoulder, and they're asking you questions. Uh, What I found, and this is, I'm sure you've experienced this as well, but, you know, they walk up at the wrong time. And right. they'll yeah. walk up at the ugly face, right? And <laughs> yeah, you, absolutely. you just want to tell them, you know, can you come back in an hour because it'll be so yeah. much better then? And they're like, oh, yeah. that's so great. And it's like, I know you you kind of mean it, but <laughs> how do you, like, you know, if you're out there by yourself, and hopefully you're not, you know, maybe you're with one or two other people at least, how do you manage that when, okay, you know, the artist egos is... is you know, yeah, it's sensitive to that, right? And yeah. So, how do you yeah. manage that?
1: Okay, you're absolutely right, Mike. That they do come up at the wrong time. It's almost like they pick their moments, don't they? <laughs> right. They're watching you from behind a corner, and they know, oh, there's the Ian Fenley drawing now, and I know if I wait for twenty minutes and go over, that's when his picture is going to look at its worst. <laughs> I won't go over at the moment, and I certainly won't go over in two hours. But yeah, you're right. They do. They do come. They do come over. But what, what I generally find is that the, the people come up to you, and they they are. Um, I'd say ninety nine point nine percent of the time they're really lovely and kind and generous with with their with their compliments. And if they're not, they they tend to just come over and grunt and walk away. I mean, I've never had anybody say anything negative to me. Um, I mean, I've had a few people that have come up to me and you know just glared at me and and you know tutted because maybe I've been in 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 their way or something, but the vast majority of of times people have come up and they've just been they've been lovely and what what I find really interesting is that things that I take for granted like the fact that I can go out and make art and I can draw um other people come along and they say oh my god I would love to do what you're doing I'd I'd just love to do it and I said well why don't you do it I was no good at art. I was I've never never any good at art. Uh, my teachers told me it was no good and I said, well, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be good. Just come and have a go. Oh, I just, I can't. I haven't got the confidence. I wouldn't know where to begin. Um, but at the same time, they, they, they genuinely seem to really, really want to do it. But they're just reluctant to, to, to do it. So what I take from that is that things that I take for granted, other people look at and think, I'd love to do it. I'd, I'd you know, I'd genuinely love to do it. Um, I had, can I just tell you another, another story? Absolutely there was I was drawing was quite a few years ago in in Liverpool, which is the nearest city to where I live It's about half an hour away and I was drawing in Liverpool and was drawing the, the the walker art gallery and um I, I wasn't doing a, a big watercolor and pen drawing it was just a, a relatively small black and white drawing and i um I'd been drawing for about i don't know about half an hour and this this young lad comes along and sits next to me and he was um He was fascinated by what what I was doing. And I could just, I had my headphones on because I often have headphones on when I'm drawing. So I wasn't engaged with him. I wasn't talking to him. I could see out the corner of my eye, he was watching everything I was doing. He was looking at all the different pens and leaning forward and looking at the brush pens, the Tombow brush pens and the fine liners. And every time I picked up a new pen, he was watching me. And I'm thinking he must be an art student because he was fascinated by what was going on. So after about five minutes of watching me, he taps me on the shoulder, and so I took my headphones off, I that. oh, he's gonna ask me something, you know, where'd you buy your pens from, or what brand of paper is that? Mm-hmm. He Taps me on the shoulder, and he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. I said, well, I'm drawing. I said, oh, that's oh, 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 great, that. It's brilliant, see ya. And he walks off. But he was obviously fascinated by what I was doing. But at the end of it all, he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> just hilarious. I thought he was going to say, you know, what fine liner is that? Is that a 0.05 or a 0.1? Or is that a Pilot or a Staedtler liner pen? Or what mm-hmm. brand of ink have you got in that pen? Or what, 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 what paper is that? What, what, what weight of paper is it? But no, I didn't get any of that. I just got, what are you doing? Which was just great. I'll never great, forget it? that. I'll never forget that story.
0: Maybe he's super shy and that's the first thing he said to someone publicly in a month. So that's that's interesting.
1: It, it could have been. And that's another thing that you're mindful of that you are out there in the public. You know, you are it's not your studio, it's it's a public public space and everyone's got the right to come up and, and, and interact with you and um and, and you and you know, you your work is out there and some people don't like that. Some people, you know, are quite shy and, and they don't want people to come and see what they're doing. And that's why I often say to people on a workshop you know the best place you can be if you want is to be up against the wall you know put your stool up against the wall and then no one can come can come behind you i mean i did a workshop last year in pompeii in the in the height of summer and it was just teeming with tourists um and so the workshops the workshops were great but we had to make sure that we were in locations where a we were shaded and b we weren't in anybody's way and the tour guide the guides that you know take the people around, They were getting really annoyed with us because they were going around, you know, rabbiting about all these old bricks and stones and stuff like that, and what happened in Pompeii two million years ago, and all right. that kind of thing. And then the the but the, the the people who were on their guide they were more interested in the drawings that we were doing and the <laughs> stuff that was happening. So they weren't they weren't and they were Italian as well. So you can imagine all kicking off and gesticulating and all this kind of thing, cursing <laughs> us under their breath and threatening us and all this kind of stuff. And, but um, that was that was interesting. So I would say, say to people, you know, if you are a bit worried about other people coming along and looking at what you do and just plonk yourself up against the wall and then no one can kind of come around behind you.
0: You talked about your kid as well. Can you talk a little bit about like, do you have an easel? Do you just use the, the pad and what size paper are you working with? I mean, OK, people that are, yeah. want to go out and say, OK, I want to get something close to what you're doing.
1: Yeah. OK, so so I I've always used the same paper. And it's, um, it's, it's a Fabriano um, hot press, which basically means it's, it's smooth. Um, mm-hmm. It's £140. You can buy them online in a, in a kind of spiral sketchbook that you get 25 sheets in a spiral sketchbook. So it's A3, so it's 40 by 30, which is quite big. So I, I do work quite big. Uh, and most of the students that come on the workshops, they tend to have quite big sketchbooks as well. Okay. Um, I also use another type of sketchbook sometimes, which is smalts which is um, an Eastern European company, so it's S-M-L-T, and I use those, but they're not a smooth finish, they're what's called a knot finish, so they've got a little bit of texture.
0: So is it is it like a cold press, or is it kind of between the two?
1: It's kind Hot of, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's so it's in between the two, which is why it's called knot, it's a knot finish. Okay. Um, so it's an either, it's, but it's got a little bit of tooth in the in the textured surface, so it's brilliant for painting, but it's not great for your pens because it feels like you know, you're drawing over some kind of like landscape, you know, a literal landscape. Um, so you're going up and down all these ridges all the time. So it's, it's not brilliant for your pens. So I sometimes use those as well, but I always use 40 by 30. Um, the fine liners I use, I use a, a range of different ones. I use Derwent's or Pilot, or Staedtler because I find they all kind of do a very similar job. There's not that much between them. They just basically create thin lines. But I use a 0.05, a 0.1, a 0.2, a 0.3, a 0.5, and a 0.8. But I always start off with a 0.2 and a 0.3. So I start off with the in-betweeny size, because then you can go thinner and you can go thicker. So if you're drawing, don't start off too thick and don't start off too thin, start in the middle, because then you can visualize when you need to go thinner. So If you need to populate a shape with texture or brickwork or hatching, And then you know when you need to go thicker if you need to really accentuate a line and make it stronger. And then I also use what's called a a uniball pen. I use a Mitsubishi uniball and you can get different thicknesses of those. And they're like a rollerball pen. So I use them for when I want really thick, intense, dark lines. And they're great. But the trouble with the uniballs is they're water soluble. So you can't use them at the beginning. They need to come on at the end. The paints I use are, winsor and newton i've always used winsor and newton i mean i've got lots of other paints because i'm i'm sponsored by lots of companies so i need to be quite careful what i say here mm-hmm. so i'm sponsored by lots of other companies but i kind of don't really use them i only use them when i need to use them but my my preferred kind of default paints are winsor and newton and i know there's other brands out there which are far more expensive and are meant to be far more superior but i find the better quality ones they're, they're a little bit too intense and they're they're, they behave a little bit too much like um, gouache. And what I like about Winsor and Newton is I love the the transparency of them. I love the I just love how they mix with water when you put washes on. For me, they're just they're, they're the best for that. But I know there's other brands out there which are meant to be far far better. I'm aware of that. So I've always used Winsor and Newton. I use Pro Artie brushes. I use flats, but I, I I I call them pastry brushes. So I use flats. I use a three quarter inch flats and I think a half-inch flat. And then I use riggers. I use loads of riggers. So I use acrylic riggers. Um, I use a number three, a number two, and a a zero. And the zero tends to do a lot of the work because that behaves very much like a a pen. And then I use Tombow Tombow brush pens, but I only tend to use the gray, the light gray, the mid-gray, the warm gray, the cold gray, and the black. Um, And I use them because they're water-soluble and they're dual-tipped and they're brilliant. I love them. Love them to bits. They're great. Yeah. I should get Tombo to sponsor me because everyone's always <laughs> you buying <should>. their pen. <laughs> Someone's actually looking into that at the moment. So, so yeah, they're my tools. That's what, that's what I use. I don't use pencils. I never use a pencil. Um, okay. I don't like – well, I, I use pencils, obviously, for, for certain things, but I don't use them in, in my urban sketching at all. I like everything to be permanent. I like that first mark to be permanent because it makes you try harder. What I find sometimes is if people have pencils, they have this pe- this, this process of pencil, rubber, pencil, rubber, pencil, rubber, pencil, rubber. Because they've got a rubber in their hand. It's like a safety net. Right. So they don't try that hard so that they, they can stick any old thing on. doesn't matter because I can rub it out. So I, I try and avoid that and say, let's just start off with Tombow brush pen because it's, it's permanent. But if you use a light gray, it looks very, very similar to a pencil mark. But I think people try harder and they think, they think harder as well. It's just getting people to think all the time. You know, think about where you're starting. Think about what, what line you're going to start off with or what point you're going to put on the page first. And are you going to turn that point into a line? And is that line going to turn into a shape? And where's that shape going to be? You know, How big is it going to be? What's it going to be in relation to the outside edge of the page? And it's just getting people to think all the time. And that's right. how they learn. That's how people move forward just by really thinking.
0: It's interesting because I had uh, Robert Bateman on uh, a few episodes ago and he's turning 90 uh, next month. And he had the same idea that when you're out and sketching, he uses a ballpoint pen yeah, with the, the same intention. So it's really great to hear uh, other artists like yourselves t- talking about that because I, I do appreciate the, um, y- you know, the permanency in, in kind of doing that. And instead of relying on that, as you say, that, that eraser that's sitting in the other hand or whatever the case.
1: It's like a bold statement, isn't it? It's like, yeah. it's like you're saying, I'm here. I'm here, and I'm going to invest my energy, my effort, my time in, in doing this now, and I'm going to start. And, and you know, every, every great piece of art, every great piece of urban sketching has to start off with a point, not even a line. It's a point to begin with, isn't it? The very first mark is a point, and then that point very quickly turns into a, a line, and that line, you know, can appear within microseconds.
0: Do you ever have a piece that you're ten minutes, fifteen, thirty minutes into, and you think this one's not going to work?
1: Yeah, not very often. Not okay. not not very often. Probably maybe two two a year. I think. Okay. But yeah, it does it does happen, and and they go they don't last more than ten minutes. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and it happens, and the, and the important thing is you know why, and and I'd say a lot of the time it happens if it does happen at all. It's simply because I've just chosen the wrong view. I've 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 chosen a view, and I just know I don't want to look at this for another two and a half hours. I don't want to invest this much time, energy, and effort into looking at it. It just it just isn't pulling my chain. There's not enough storytelling going on. I've just I've just chosen the wrong subject, or it might be that I'll I'll choose maybe the right subject, but perhaps the wrong kind of angle, and I'll get started on it, and I maybe get to the stage where I'm putting the color on, so that that's maybe ten, fifteen minutes into into the into the process, and I've just not got the colors right at all. Um, maybe I put them in the wrong place, I put too much on, um, but again, that that does not happen very often. But it's it's often to do with just choosing the the wrong the wrong subject, I guess.
0: And I wanted to ask you about your application of watercolor because it it, it does sit. I'm not even going to say as a different layer. It almost mm. sits as additional senses on top of your original sketch and it it really is the personality sitting on top of the framework the skeleton and i wonder if you can talk about that a little bit because i think there's so many people are kind of figure they can't put it yeah watercolor where it you know over on this side because that extends beyond the line where okay. you seem to be telling a story with the watercolor that's on top of that um that structure that exists, and they kind yeah. of are in, independent, but they work together.
1: It's it's really really perceptive of you to, to to put it like that. It's great. You really really get my work. You really know what's going on. I think when you when I one of the things I say to people on on location when we're teaching is that um, you need the hand, the eye, and the heart. So the hand and the eye are very much what happens at the beginning when you're confronted with this scene in front of you, and it's very much objective. So you're recording first couple of steps, you get the big shapes on, you get the architectural references on, you're you're very much dominated by the scene in front of you. And that's your hand and your eye starting to work. And then when it comes to the step of putting the color on, that's when the heart comes into it, that's when it becomes much more personal. So the color is, is you kicking back. So initially for the first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, when you're drawing and you're getting your big shapes down, you're being dominated by that scene, which is the whole point of going out there. You know, that's why you do it, you go there to draw. But then after a while, you think I need to start talking about this from my point of view, I need to give something back here. And that's the human element, that's the personal element, and that's where the color comes in. So the color is referencing what's in front of you. Like for example, if it's a building that's brown, you don't want to turn it green or blue or pink, it kind of would be brown. But there's other stuff going on around it that you can change the color of. And that's the heart coming in. That's where the the color and the painting and the application of the paint and the wet on wet and the splashes and the the dynamism and the energy is all about you. I think just emphasizing that human nature, that, that personal nature that you are creating something with your own hand based on your own personal observation and also using your own. Your own memory and your own knowledge of, of what you've done before, so the, the 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 two, the the hand, the eye, and the heart, the three, sorry, are, are very much working together. But the the first two, the hand and the eye, I, I I feel anyway, are to do with the looking and the observing, and then the heart comes in and takes it onto another sort of personal personal level. So it's not just all about filling in the gaps. It's not painting by numbers and drawing shapes and filling them in, because then it would just be too objective. It's kind of kicking back and letting the paint, you know, have a life of its own and bring your own personality out, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I think uh,
1: the fact that you're exposing
0: your soul in such colourful ways for, for mm-hmm. all of us to see is just wonderful.
1: That was quite deep, wasn't it? That was it was deep. deep. <laughs> that, was, that was very, 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 very deep. But it's true. It, it's perfectly true. It, it is. It is the way... It's how it works on location. You know, it's a very emotional part of the the process. I know when I get the colours out, I do get a real adrenaline rush. Um, And, you you know, because you you don't know what's going to happen. You kind of know what your starting colour is going to be, but you don't know where it's going to take you. You don't quite know which bits you're going to leave blank and which bits you're going to colour and which bits are going to be really kind of wet on wet and really intense. So it is a very, very personal personal thing but it's it's great fun it's such mm-hmm. good fun to do
0: so i wanted to ask you as well you know maybe we need to talk about this at this point and that is with the pandemic and, and covid at this point where we're kind of forced to be in our houses and we can't really use a lot <laughs> this idea of looking at composition and managing that and maybe banking it for uh, when things change how do you th- how are you managing it now i know i noticed you've done some paintings some drawings Inside your house is that yeah. I, I mean it's it's an interesting exercise i to be honest, until I saw them, it's like you know I didn't even think of it
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I, th- I think I think what's happened is is because circumstances have, have changed so much for a lot of people when my first trip got cancelled, which was going to be Texas, it was going to be San Antonio last month, uh, and I realized I was going to be stuck at home for a while I thought. Why don't I do, do a tour of the house instead of a tour of Texas? Let's do a tour of the house. And it just forces you to, to notice things, um, you know, which is what my work's all about, just noticing things. But you're noticing stuff that has been so familiar to you for such a long time. Because I've lived in this house for a long time now, and, I'm, and I know every kind of nook and cranny and every inch of it. But because you're sitting down, perhaps from a different point of view, so you're not, not sitting on the kitchen chair or the la- or 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 the couch, you're sitting on a camping chair from a in a in a different position to get the best to get the best view. You're seeing everything from different angles and you you're seeing the you know the the relationship between between stuff. So when I did the first one, which was a view of the living room, it was almost like I was treating it as an urban sketch. So the ceiling became the sky and the door became a building and like the couch became you know something else and a lamp in the corner became like a like a street lamp. So you're kind of treating it in this and and, and the parquet flooring, because we've got lots of parquet flooring around the house, all this kind of wood block floor flooring that knits together. That was almost like paving paving slabs and, and cobbled streets. So you, you're kind of seeing it in, in, in a in a similar kind of way, except it's it's an interior. And I sort of had to do that really, I think just to keep myself keep myself busy. And then a lot of the travel companies that I work with, we decided that we'd just start making some Um, Films, I've been making lots of films. I've made about six films in the last couple of weeks So up in the studio, I've just rigged all my cameras up and I've just filmed myself working Step-by-step and explaining the process So they're going to be coming out of it. They'll be available soon and they'll be advertised on Facebook and and Instagram And so I've been doing lots of, of that kind of thing and I've also been doing live streams as well Where I've just been chatting about my my process and my technique so I've been, I've been busy, but I know it's, it's tough for people out there. A lot of people have been in touch and, you know, they're, they're just finding it quite, quite challenging at the moment, which is, is really understandable.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it is hard. And I appreciate, you know, all the artists, including yourself who are making an effort to reach out and share more. Uh, some artists are, you know, taking, uh, um, you know, providing discounts on their, you know, their brushes or their courses or whatever the case and just being more available to people. Because when you've got this time, you know, you you can look at it as an opportunity, but I wouldn't say that necessarily people should, you know, saddle themselves with, you know, you've got this time, you better be a better artist by the time this stuff ends. (laughs) As opposed to (laughs) just making, you know, take your time to explore. And, you know, because these artists like yourself are exposing themselves, uh, that there's an opportunity there to, to absorb some of that in a, a very unique situation and turning yeah. this into a bit of an opportunity.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think people, you know, people, a lot of people I, I know are turning to turn, you know, probably more from a kind of hobby point of view, you know, to keep themselves busy. But what then happens is once you pick up on something and you start producing work, then you want to improve. And that's where the learning side comes in. Um. So it's, it's one thing just to do it and do it and do it. But I think everybody You know, it's in our nature, isn't it, to want to improve and want to get better. So, the more the more you the more you practice and the the better you become, I think the more satisfaction you know you get you get out of it. So, I think I think art will will hopefully help a lot of a lot of people. It won't get them out of their financial problems and it won't solve an awful lot of problems, but it might just go some small way to. making people feel a little bit less less stress i read i read something the other day and it was by my my favorite artist who's david hockney probably him and him and vincent van gogh are probably vine you know for my all-time favorite artist but i love i love david hockney and he he lives in normandy now and um, bizarrely one of the reasons he moved from normandy to normandy from england was because they have far more lax rules on smoking and he's a serial smoker i mean he's smokes all the time and he can smoke outside in France which he couldn't do in, in, in Bridlington in, in East Yorkshire so he moved over to France so he's got this gorgeous garden and he's been doing lots of drawing and he was talking about stress and how a lot of people are feeling stressed at the moment and stress is about worrying about the future you know it's worrying about things that are going to happen that you can't control and if I thought about coronavirus and, and, and this pandemic you know, you would get worried about it because you think, you know, when am I ever going to travel again? I can't travel until there's a vaccine. When's there going to be a vaccine? You know, what's going to happen? So it's, it's a really stressful thing to think about because what you're doing, you're projecting your mind into the future and all those events that you have no control over. But ask fixes your mind in the moment. You are focused on that one little spot in front of you and that one yes. little spot could be a window or a door or a seagull that's just landed on the fence. And it, it just fixes your mind, and you lose yourself completely, which is why it's so good for you. At the moment. it's so good for distressing because it, it helps you think about the situation that you're in, and there's all sorts of challenges, you know, to do with perspective, and to do with colour, um, and all those little challenges that you can overcome because you are in complete control of that. You know, you're in com- complete control over what you do. It's not like there's another agenda out there. You know, you're drawing, you're making art. You might not be satisfied with it, but you can always do it again. You can always improve. No one's going to stop you. And that's what's so good about it because it's so distressing because you're fixed in that one moment in time. Absolutely. Well, that was deep too, wasn't it? Da- David Hockney never, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> stuck in a moment you can't get out of. Yeah, David. David Hockney never quite put it in those terms. That's my take on what he said. But I just thought it was great how he said, you know, it's it's a really good thing for distressing you because it hooks you into the moment that you're in.
0: Well, even as an artist, like I'm not an artist full time. I have a full time job working in health research. I enjoy the art because it takes me away from that. I find if I don't draw in a day, day and a half, I need to really get back to it because it helps. And, yeah. you know, with that question, do you, if you're having a really tough day, does does drawing and painting help you to unwind or do you need to be in a relaxed state to do that is it meditative for you
1: um it's not it's not meditative no because it's it's challenging because i i i put everything into it i I put myself under tremendous pressure not you wouldn't notice but i do put myself under huge pressure because i want every picture to be the best possible picture it can you know and because i've done a lot of drawings over the years you know I, i i I want the next one not necessarily to be the best because that, that would just be silly. But I, I don't want it to be lacking in anything. And I, I really, I put myself under huge pressure for each picture, you know. Um, but I don't, I don't get stressed um, in, in the sense that I, I don't have a bad day. And I don't use art as a way of picking myself up because I this really, <laughs> this is, this is going to sound awful, but I anybody really have good days. Because I make art all the time, and I teach lovely people, I travel to amazing places. So I don't really, I don't really get stressed and wound up, even when I'm working in schools. I have the most brilliant time. I work with lots of lovely teachers, so I don't kind of use art as a way of getting myself out of a hole. Okay. Because I don't kind of get in a hole because I'm always making art, and I suppose when you're making art all the time, you are quite relaxed and chilled, and you know I'm getting everything out of my system. I don't hold anything in; it all comes pouring out which is probably why I paint the way that I paint. Um, but I don't, I don't draw every day. Um, I only draw when I kind of feel like I need to draw. Um, and often I, I draw because I'm, I'm, I'm teaching other people or I have a commission or um, I'm making a film. Or sometimes I'll just find the most brilliant image or rock up at the most fantastic spot and I just feel like I really need to do it to challenge myself.
0: Um, is there a, a dream location that you would like to paint or record around the world that you would?
1: Oh, there's, there's quite a few. I've got a bucket list of quite a few. One of them is, is New York. I've never been to New York. And I'm, I'm going there in October. I'm hoping to go there in October if, if they let me in. So I'm doing a, a week's lot of workshops in upstate New York, just up the Hudson River. Um, okay. But I'm going to have about four days in Manhattan beforehand drawing and painting and just gathering reference material for the workshops so I'm really looking forward to that so New York's on my bucket list another one on my bucket list is Jerusalem I really want to go to Jerusalem I would love to go there um, just from a storytelling point of view you know a lot of the kind of religious imagery that you have you have the, you know, the Jewish the Christian the Muslim there's an awful amazing juxtaposition an awful lot of fantastic visual imagery there that I think I could do an awful lot with. So I, I really think Jerusalem would be cool. Um, my favorite, the favorite city I've been to, to draw and paint, I would say is probably Amsterdam. I've been there, and there quite a few times, and it's just the most brilliant place. I love drawing and painting Amsterdam. We've got a whole sketchbook full of Amsterdam from all the trips that I've been.
0: That's wonderful. I always ask my guest for some homework uh, okay. for the listener, and I don't know if you have one or two things or exercises that uh, somebody who's starting out or maybe an intermediate artist can use to kind of up their game to explore their creativity. Um, I don't know if you have suggestions or thoughts around that.
1: I've got loads. There's there's loads of things people can people can do. And um, the, the best advice, and this is what I think happened to me over the years, and it's probably why I'm able to do what I do, is, is just to go and look at the world around you. Look at, And it, it could be your local world. It could just be you know, the inside of your house or your backyard or your garden, or it could be the next time you visit a town or a city. But just look at the world and just look at how it's made up of, of textures and colours and shapes and patterns. And look at the detail, look at how everything fits together, look at the layers, look at what's in front, what's behind, look at the relationship between them and just, just look, look, look at things. And then if you look at it and you find it interesting, start drawing it. But look, look and think first. Don't just dive straight in because if you dive straight in, you won't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. So I just encourage people to, to look because that's ultimately why, you know, I make the art that I make because I like what I look at. And i think about what i look at and i want to record it um, and i think a lot of people do it the other way around they dive in first or what they what they do is they, they find a style and they try and copy a style and then it just becomes about copying the style it's got nothing to do with real life experience so i think any any tip i would give people is just to go out there and experience the world if you if you can <laughs> if you can get outside <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, in this time, just exploring, as you said, the house, when I look at the pictures you did of your house, I do see that sense of, you know, an architectural site, as opposed to a room, right, where you yeah. see the door is much thicker, because it has some prominence here, because it is yeah. more of a building than a than an yeah. entryway to another room. That's right, um, yeah. And so I, I think it it brings pause to this idea of of, this world is wonderful, and you don't have to travel halfway around the world. Or even leave your house
1: to be able to get inspired if you if you're looking for it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can use the same colors painting my hall as I can if I'm painting Texas. You know, I'm still using burnt sienna, ultramarine, Capium yellow, brush and blue. You know, they're still going to be there. They're still going to be. And I'm using the same paper, the same pen, the same paint. I'm looking for the same things, the same patterns, textures, colors, shapes. They're all they're all going to be there. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't have. But when go back to what you said before, though, Mike about New York and Jerusalem. I'm always looking for new shapes. It's the shapes are always my starting point, and then within the shapes, it's telling a story within those shapes. And the colours, the colours just decorate it. No, they don't. They do a lot more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's it's ultimately it's about shapes and storytelling. They're the two the two things, and I I think I could tell stories and find shapes in both those two places, which I haven't found yet. I've not found them yet. (laughs) No i found them
0: so where can uh, people find you online where's the best place to find you ian
1: well the the best the best place is probably my instagram account which is just just ian Fennelly, um because i kind of post pretty much everything on instagram i've also got my facebook page which is Fennelly art limited um, and i've got my website which is www.ianfenely.co.uk and on the website there's a, a tab you can click on it, drops down all the trips, all the workshops. That, well, it's the selection. It's, it's the ones that tend to be abroad, not the ones in this country because there'd just be too many of them. Right. Um, but you kind of have to ignore 2020, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just skip that one. Look at 2021. <laughs> yeah. But I'm hoping the back end of this year, things might return to some form of normality. That's what I'm hoping for. But we'll, yeah. we'll just have to wait. We'll wait and see. I can't, I've, I've got no control over that.
0: Right. I think we'll get there. And I think as long as we look forward to that, uh, it'll happen. And we just need to, we're in this together. Yeah. And as absolutely. long as we keep creating and keep sharing, we'll be good. Yeah. That's, uh, that's wonderful. I, um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. So I do appreciate you coming onto the podcast and talking about your journey, your art, sharing some of the uh, the secrets in behind your workshops. And uh, I so much appreciate just, I find your work so compelling and um it's so interesting now to have that narrative around it that uh, once again it doesn't it doesn't provide me with your soul but it does provide that narrative that when I look at your work now I understand I'm looking for that uh the stories that you're talking about and it's just wonderful oh,
1: that's that's really nice of you to say thank you that's lovely
0: that's awesome so thank you Ian Fenelly for coming on the show I will include everything we talked about in the show notes And I will, when I can, try to embed uh, some of the artwork as well so that when people are listening, they'll see that pop up on their screens if they're using an iPhone or something else to watch or listen to the podcast, I should say. So thank you once again. Have a great day.
1: You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. And take care, everybody. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Ian. Show notes, including links to everything Ian and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 25. You can find links to all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm, including my Instagram, which is Mike underscore Hendley, where I post all my art. Follow me or tag me so I can see what you've created recently. Until next time, be kind to one another and keep drawing. The music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.